Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 113th episode, it's the revenge of Camille Washington. And also, we'll be talking about Mortal Kombat. Along the way, we discuss finding your queer woman root in Outworld, getting your teachers to care about Mortal Monday, and the perfect fusion of art and commerce. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. Just before we get started, we recorded this conversation about 10 hours after I saw the new Mortal Kombat movie, so we will talk about it at length and spoil the plot completely. You have been warned. We join this conversation already in progress. So for those who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? Oh my gosh, this question again. (laughs) Hi everyone, my name is Camille. I am one half of the Unfriendly Black Hotties, an occasional podcast about higher ed, books, TV, music, fashion, culinary arts, and whatever in the good hell else my co-hosts and I feel like getting into in a given week. Something that makes me a beautiful and unique snowflake? I have a tattoo of a spider lady, and I think that that's pretty rad. I think that's a good thing to lead with. <laughs> that is, in fact, pretty rad. It's one of those things where, like, you have a collection of tattoos, and I admire people with collections of awesome tattoos, and yours are particular in that they involve many, many culinary spices. They do. They do involve many culinary spices. So I have given my entire left arm over to friends and family. All of my friends and all of my family are big food lovers. I guess what has happened is a lot of them are getting represented by foods. Although mostly at this point, I have a whole host of spices and vegetables used in Filipino cuisine. So I've got like calamansi, I've got ginger, I've got garlic, I've got tamarind, but I'm sure I will add some other things. I also have a rooster, which is not meant to be a food, but it does sort of evoke images of, you know, delicious chicken noodle soup. That's true. Chicken in with all of the, the other tattoos that I have. How long, though, until there is some sort of cube of lechon on there? When you were here in Sydney, the one time we got to spend time in your glorious presence here in Sydney, we did make it over to Cebu Lechon in Enmore and had some delicious cubes of crackling pork belly. So I presume there will be some delicious striated fat-ridden layer of delicious pork on there at some point. I mean, so while I love that idea, I just don't know how that will look as a tattoo. Like, do you think it'll read as crispy lechon? Or will people just be like, what's that like weird like brick on you? (laughs) It might end up looking like either like one of those geological maps of an area or maybe like, I don't know, a licorice all sort. But we'll know in our hearts. I always know pork in my heart when I see it. (laughs) (laughs) Pork is like pornography. (laughs) I can't define it, but I know when I see it or something. (laughs) So we didn't initially come here to talk about food, but somehow whenever we talk, we end up talking about food. We came here to talk about, it's real simple. It's Mortal Kombat, isn't it? It is. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't do the scream. It is too early in the morning for me to do that big old Mortal Kombat scream. Yeah, and I just lack the vocal range to do it, but know that Lucas and I are both doing the Mortal Kombat scream in our hearts. Please scream in your hearts. (laughs) (laughs) Accurate. So looking back into your personal history, where did Mortal Kombat come into it? So I have an older brother, Louis, and he is six years older than me. So I was always the little sister watching my big brother playing video games. And Mortal Kombat was, I think, one of the first games that we had. So there was the, what was it, the the little Sega handheld. The Game Gear. Yes, the Game Gear. So we had, I think it was Mortal Kombat 2 on the Game Gear. 
And then we had it on, there was an SNES, right? Yeah. Super Bowl Combat on SNES? Yeah. So we had it there. And it was just a franchise that my older brother was always really invested in. And so I wanted to be like my big brother. And so I got super invested in it. I always really identified with the women characters as a kid. But as I got older, I I grew to have a broader and more refined palette. And so I, I branched out. But yeah, I really love that franchise it's so silly it's like i don't know it's just like one of the og games i feel like yeah and it's one of the first games that i can remember having a fanfare upon its release because it had made such a big thing on the arcade where it was like oh no it's coming to home consoles and as someone who would occasionally beg my parents to buy me like an electronic gaming monthly or egm magazine or game pro i would see these huge like write-ups on all of these ridiculous fatalities and these weird characters which by the way when you look back at it it's basically just like two guys saying hey what if bruce lee and jean-claude van damme and cynthia rothrock and one of the storms from big trouble in little china and i don't know a guy with a cyborg eye and a couple of ninjas what if they all had a fight and what if we could play all of them in a video game wouldn't that be cool Turns out it was cool. It was incredibly cool. (laughs) Yeah, it was cool and bloody and it got a lot of attention. I remember being in sixth grade. There was like a current events thing in the morning. They're like, what news do you want to talk about? And one kid tentatively put his hand up and said, it's Mortal Monday. And the teacher's like, what is that? And it's like, oh, it's the release of Mortal Kombat on SNES and Genesis. And the teacher got real mad that we were excited for, quote, a bunch of blinking lights on the screen in the way of teachers of a certain age. Yeah, also like, that teacher's looking real dumb right now. (laughs) (laughs) Zoom and internet and everything being a screen. But we will forgive that teacher. They didn't know, and that's all right. They knew not what they do. But yeah, it came out on the SNES, and it came out on the Sega Genesis, and yet later the Game Gear, which I had one all 20 pounds of it with its four AA batteries that it needed to run, and it would get stupid hot on car trips. But yeah, I remember giving myself yeah. car sickness pretty badly, sitting in the back seat playing Mortal Kombat 2 on the Game Gear on this tiny little screen and getting very, very car sick. I know, yeah. And we would take turns with it on like car trips and stuff. And my older brother was actually pretty generous because I feel like most big brothers... I was about to say, yeah. I know, right? Like would have just like selfishly guarded it. But he also had like a Game Boy and so... I don't know. And my brother is just like a great big brother. And I think he wanted to cultivate the geek tendency in me. And he really did me a service. It has stayed with me these many, many years. I have pockets of like Mortal Kombat in-game universe knowledge that I didn't know that I still had access to. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, brain, so we can't remember what we had for dinner two nights ago, but this like intricate (laughs) detail about Adenia we remember all right sure we'll go with that we will go with that about Sindel and the royal line and the Shokan princes oh my god don't even get me started and Motaro the centaur (laughs) yeah 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 but yes what's funny though is that it was very clearly at the beginning just like hey it's enter the dragon you know it's a tournament everyone comes Mm -hmm. they have a fight And there's some mystical elements, and that's it. But then, God, then it's swept out into this massive, sweeping, and yes, kind of baffling world with, like, multiple worlds and races and people like Baraka with the big teeth and blades that stick out of his arms and half-human, half-dragon princess with four arms done with dodgy stop-motion effects. Yeah, so it became this... I don't want to say it was kind of like one of those Matrix things where it was like... Oh, yeah, yeah. It was always meant to be a trilogy. Oh, and there's this whole other world. It wasn't just this cool thing we made. Yeah, I mean, I think I just feel like Ed Boon just like really committed. He was like, we're just gonna, just gonna keep making these. And like, they're still making new games, which I am delighted and astonished by. I think the last version of Mortal Kombat I played was Deception, which I believe was on the Xbox 360. So I am like many many games behind but even then like by that point the universe had expanded so much there were so many characters (laughs) so many different realms to be in and really had grown past you know the six stages 
you know, in Mortal Kombat 2, which will always hold a special place in my heart. And just like that game feels so innocent compared to like <laughs> what it became. And some of it was like limitations of the technology, right? Like, I mean, now you can see someone get their spine ripped out in high definition. Whereas, you know, in the olden days, you would really have to use your imagination to yeah. figure out like what that exactly looks like. You would uppercut someone and they would fall through the floor into the pit and they would fall and fall and fall and then on spikes and a bunch of red dots would squirt out of them as blood. And then you were like, oh my God, that just happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and that at the time was considered pretty gnarly, if I remember correctly. Oh yeah. But now it's way, way oh, yeah. different. Now you're into like... <laughs> x-ray attacks where it's like you hit them and you actually watch their organs or bones explode and yeah it's a lot but no i can remember which friends had the super nintendo version and which friends had the sega genesis version because the genesis version had blood and the super nintendo version did not it had gray air quotes sweat that would fly off of people Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it had some of the fatalities changed so for example kano no longer ripped out somebody's heart he would instead just punch them in the chest and they would shudder and fall down I don't really remember much about the fatalities from the SNES version. I feel like most of them have been kind of superimposed in my mind with like, I don't know, screen grabs that I've seen from recent MKs over the years. And I was like, this game is very violent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, the more recent ones are crazy. But the thing is, I can remember back in like Mortal Kombat 2, which I think was the one I played the most was Mortal Kombat 2. I had it on Genesis. And one of those EGMs that I had begged my dad to, to buy had all the fatalities in like a foldout, like all the instructions on how to do them. And so I would sit after school for hours and hours and like try and commit them to memory and make it so I could do them and see what happened. Anytime someone was like, you know, exploded or knocked over, all the bones that fell was always like 18 femurs and four rib cages and a dozen skulls. <laughs> it was like... Yeah, just impossible, an impossible skeleton. What's funny though is that like for all of the you know the shock of the moral guardians that someone would rip the top of someone's head off and have their spine dangling or rip their heart out and it's this little pixelated heart and it's oh it's so violent oh my gosh it's so terrible but here's the thing mortal kombat has always been funny yes it's always been really silly and over the top i mean if you did scorpion's fatality where he takes off his mask and there's a skull head and he blows fire one of the creators will yell toasty from the back you cannot tell me that a game that has its creator yell toasty in a super high-pitched voice does not have a sense of humor yeah toasty or whoopsie yeah that was the other one okay yeah or when um in later games when they would have like instead of fatalities you would have like friendship yep or you turn them into a baby baby yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah, babality. The animalities were less funny. Although I feel like some of them must have been funny because some of the fatalities were funny. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even having like Melina take off her mask and like blow you like an acid kiss or whatever. Like, that's funny. That's a good bit. It's a good gag. I don't know. It's also one of the first games that I can remember like a lot of schoolyard talk about where it was like, oh, one kid would have it and one kid wouldn't. And someone would go, oh, well, you know, if you did this particular thing, it will do a different thing that you've never seen. Of course, that kid was talking completely out of his ass. But yeah. <laughs> there was a sort of weird lore to it. And yeah, I can recall going to a friend's house who had Mortal Kombat 3 and being like, oh my God, there's so many characters. You know, what are we going to do? It's like, how are you going to find your favorite in all of these things? Which was your favorite character, by the way? I mean, I was always a Katana girl. The fan combos were really good. I mean, and something that I feel like the game designers did really well was make sure that everyone was set up with moves that gave you like a free hit. So every character had some sort of move that would like stun your opponent so you could get in a couple like cheap shots. And I really like those. I like that style. But yeah, Katana really just spoke to me. All of the women characters, honestly, but Katana was like my go-to from the jump. My older brother was a scorpion guy, which I really respect. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's... It's, it's he, he's solid he's really solid he's better than sub-zero and i just can't artic just like for reasons i can't really articulate i mean i like the moveset better it's interesting too that they're just like we're gonna have these ninjas we're gonna do them in different colors but basically they're the same dude <laughs> they're the same but they're like a little bit different and then they expanded that out into like yeah and they have like whatever beef going back centuries and blah 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 
But no, originally it was just like you wanted to have two ninjas. So you <laughs> copy pasted and yeah. gave one like a slightly different moveset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. They're the only two that aren't really based on anybody. Like I had not seen Big Trouble in Little China until after I'd played Mortal Kombat. And I saw the three mm. storms there with their hats and their lightning powers. And I'm like, so so we all know that's Raiden, right? That, that's right. Yeah. Everybody knows that. Johnny Cage doing the splits is very clearly Jean-Claude Van Damme. And Sonya mm-hmm. Blade could not be more Cynthia Rothrock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Except for if she was on a VHS cover with a name like <laughs> Kiss of the Dragon or something. Not the Jet Li movie. But you get the idea. Yeah, yeah. Which then leads to, and I, I got to make this jump at this point because it's, it's all I want to talk about. The 1995 Mortal Kombat movie. Which is art. It's so good. <laughs> It's like, I know that it's a mess. I know that. I don't care. I love it. I own it in two different formats. I own it on digital, (laughs) and I also own it on DVD. And the DVD also has Mortal Kombat 2 Annihilation on it, which is less of a masterpiece. It's pretty bad. (laughs) Like, listen, neither of them are truly good But I just, that first Mortal Kombat really holds a very special place in my heart. Yeah. I'm going to steal a line from my friend Chris, and I'm going to say, it's not good. It is great, though. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. It was never good. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that in the Dolphin Theater on East Hastings Street in Burnaby, BC. We paid $2 to get in. Sorry, $2.50. It was after they marked up the price. And my friend Derek and I went over and watched it and came out blown away about how good it was. Oh, my God. <laughs> For those of you who have not seen the Mortal Kombat movie, first off, go see the Mortal Kombat movie. It's great. And secondly, it was, I think, potentially one of the first video game movies that attempted to accurately represent what the game was. Like, it was not, we all saw that Mario Brothers movie. It was not good. Sorry, Jake Mason. It's not good. It's also not what the Mario Brothers games are. But in Mortal Kombat, guess what? There's a tournament. It's called Mortal Kombat. <laughs> you, you go on a cool, creepy ghost dragon boat to an island. There's a whole bunch of characters that are characters like from the game. And they fight. They have individual fights that kind of roam all over the island. And you fight the bad guy, whose name is Shang Tsung, who steals souls, and he says wonderful things. It was played by Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa, who is amazing, mm-hmm. who knows exactly what kind of movie he's in, as he, like, yes. puts his arms to the sky and screams, It has begun! As lightning yeah. goes around him. <laughs> he was really very committed. Incredibly committed. I also thought the casting of Raiden, also uninspired, if fucked up choice i mean honestly the the racial politics of this movie are not good that is one thing that i will say i mostly don't care because it allowed me to encounter my queer woman root which was talisa soto as katana (laughs) talisa soto famously puerto rican not even a little bit asian not even close and yet it worked really worked was that character portrayal offensive yes of course it was of course it was i don't care because she was and is so beautiful and i find her to be perfect and without flaw yeah it's excellent and similarly like you were saying with raiden where it's like he's dressed like a chinese god and he has the name of a japanese god and also he's being played by christopher lambert (laughs) and we're not going to ask any questions about it but we're just going to go with it yeah because he does that little laugh thing that he does in every movie. It's where he's like, <laughs> and it's very good. <laughs> yeah. So he also knows exactly what kind of movie that he is in. And I really, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. And throughout that movie, there is your token white guy in Johnny Cage, who is being yeah. both the best and the worst simultaneously. <laughs> I mean, that movie's funny. It's very good. It's quite, quite good. I rewatched it recently and it... Honestly, it's, it's it's even better than I remember. <laughs> it's really a dream. It's really it's like it's like a fever dream. Yeah, honestly, I I think we said it in the lead up to this episode. I think this was the comment that started it up. Me getting to the top of a flight of stairs that is a little bit too long and going ah, ha, 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 and no more steps 
is like so part of my subconscious that I, I barely remember it's from Mortal Kombat anymore. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, God, what an important, important film in 1995. So let me see. I definitely didn't see it in the theater because I wouldn't have been allowed because I was like five or six years old. And I don't think my parents would have taken us to see that movie anyhow. But I do know that we were allowed to rent it on VHS from Blockbuster. And we could not watch that tape enough times, (laughs) my older brother and me. And we just thought it was... So, so incredibly rad. I'll have to ask my older brother, like his, his memories of it. Cause I'm sure it was formative for him in a different, but also similar way <laughs> since he was like, <laughs> you know, an 11 year old boy at yeah. the time. It hits real hard. <laughs> Speaking of hits real hard, uh, before we move on from the Mortal Kombat movie, we do need to talk about Sonya Blade in that movie. We do. Um, so there was a lot of waif foo happening in that movie. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because the scene when she is in the tournament and she's fighting Kano and she puts her thighs around his head and a little bit of spittle from his lips get onto her thigh. That to me is art. That is also my sexuality. 1000%. (laughs) Like I remember seeing that and like something, something has changed within me. Something is not the same. (laughs) That was the thought that I had even as a six year old or whatever. (laughs) Sonya Blade played by Bridget Wilson, the future and then past Mrs. Pete Sampras in, in an amazing turn where her whole job is to kind of sneer and tell everyone that they're stupid, which, hey, fair, most of them are. And then, yeah, she gets to break Kano's neck. Like, after she grabs him with her thighs, and like you said, yeah, I, and I think, as you said, that I specifically, yeah, remembered the bit where, yeah, he, he drools a bit on her, and it's like, it's intense. And then he says, give me a break, and she says, okay, and she breaks his fucking neck. Yeah, it's incredible. But, and it's also, like, it strains credulity, right? She's, like... 120 pounds, maybe, soaking wet, and she's going to kick this guy's ass? Yeah, she is. She really is. With her, <laughs> her tiny spaghetti arms, her tiny, beautiful, useless spaghetti arms and legs. And she's got that blonde hair, and she's wearing those shorts with the shirt tucked into... It was just good. It was just a really <laughs> good look for her, for me, for the people of the world. We were very lucky that we got to see that. Just right. So now I think we can move on to the main course of this episode and what actually prompted this episode to happen. So you saw that new Mortal Kombat movie. It sure did. The new one premiered on whatever HBO Max. Home box office um, in maximum. In the United yep. States. Yes, 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 yes. And I watched that movie. I finished it and I was immediately like, I want to watch that movie again right now. I loved <laughs> it. I loved it. I loved it. I cannot say enough about how much I loved it. Because, yes, living in Sydney, we were one of the lucky few. We got to go and see it in the theater with a big bucket of popcorn and some candy that we had bought at the supermarket and snuck in in Kimiko's purse, as is the way of things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She's a very good purse for that. It holds a lot of stuff, and we have made use of that in the past. But we saw it (laughs) at 1.45 in the afternoon at Top Ride Cinemas, and, yeah, it was exactly what you wanted. Although, that said, my one caveat is that there was not actually a tournament in this movie. (laughs) There was no actual Mortal Kombat. Yeah. But they they then specified that by saying, okay, well, what Shang Tsung is doing is he's trying to attack people before they get called for the tournament so that when the tournament comes, Earth has no fighters and they win by default. It basically leads to a whole bunch of fights happening in weird and oddball locations. But what we actually get for the first time ever is a story centered on Scorpion and Sub-Zero, who were sadly misused in the 90s movie. They were basically just sort of like henchmen for the bad guy. Yeah. And they didn't get their own story when, in fact, like you said earlier, they have beef going back hundreds of years. And Scorpion was, a, that's the thing, he said, they say he was a ninja, but he pretty much looks like a samurai and the armor looks like a samurai. Mm-hmm. But we get to see his family be attacked and die and he uses his wife's gardening trowel, this kunai, on a rope that becomes his harpoon in an objectively sick fight scene. Yeah, so like the first whatever five to seven minutes of the new Mortal Kombat movie like might actually be art 
it's well acted, beautifully shot, beautifully choreographed. I'm kind of like, how did you get that actor to do this dumb movie? But it's just, <laughs> it's rad as hell. Maybe that's how they sold it. They were like, you, we're going to make you look so fucking cool. Yeah. And the way that they position Scorpion and Sub-Zero in this movie is interesting because like canonically, Scorpion has like a neutral alignment and Sub-Zero has like a good alignment. So it was interesting to have Sub-Zero set up as the bad guy. I'm not opposed. I do think Sub-Zero is like a fucking narc and I think Scorpion <laughs> rules. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, to have the film bookended with two epic fights between Scorpion and Sub-Zero, just like, it really gave me what I needed. What I did, And what I didn't know was possible from a video game movie. Like the fights were not even a little bit cheesy to me. They were like, I feel like across the board throughout the movie, all of the fight scenes were awesome. They were excellent. Yeah. And I mean, not just that was it Scorpion, but it was Scorpion played by Hiroyuki Sanada, who was once referred to as Japan's Denzel Washington in that he has this massive, like dramatic career. And then he comes to the States and he's like, the Captain in Sunshine, which is a movie I like a lot, and that Kimiko got very mad at because she liked him so much, and then he dies halfway through that movie, and she said, I don't want to watch this movie anymore, because mm. my dude just died. Yeah. But he, yeah, he gives so much pathos, and like, and he kicks ass. It's such a great opening. Yeah, that's why I'm like, how did they trick him into doing this stupid movie? I mean, I'm so glad that he, like, <laughs> he saw this script and said, challenge accepted, but I'm also a little perplexed. <laughs> <laughs> But speaking of the odd casting of the 1995 Mortal Kombat movie, I just want to point out that 2021's Mortal Kombat has almost more Australians in it than the movie Australia, set in Australia. (laughs) Because Kano is played by the one, the only, Josh Lawson, who Superstore viewers might know as the piece-of-shit pharmacist. Mm. But Kimiko knows because she has been working for him in Australian television and movies for a long time. And that was her reason for coming, is I wanted to go see how my mate Josh is doing. (laughs) <laughs> and the answer is he steals the entire first half of the movie. He really does. He just imbues Kano with like a dickishness that is just artful in its deployment. I mean, it's like you hate him, but you also laugh at most of the things he's it's like I hate that I'm laughing at you, you obvious piece of shit, but you're fucking funny. <laughs> I like that he's got no redeeming qualities at all. He's like ostensibly on the side of good because he is on Earthrealm's side, but also <laughs> he's just a complete piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's interesting too because so they set up the dynamic of like, you know, the way that you get invited to the tournament is you like have this dragon tattoo on you. And if you're not born with one, you got to get it by killing someone who like has the tattoo on them already. And it becomes very clear very early on that Sonya Blade is going to take that fucking tattoo right off of Kano and then you just cannot wait for it to happen. Yeah, because their way of, because previous kind of movies and stories, Sonya Blade's way into this is that she's chasing Kano and Kano is a terrorist and he's trying to get to the tournament because he reckons he'll make a lot of money, treasure, power, etc. And so she's chasing him. That's her only motivation. Here, she is someone who's researched the tournament and has her wall of crazy, yeah. <laughs> like in Pacific Rim, <laughs> with all the red string and everything. She's chasing one of the other champions, and basically Kano kills that dude in his sleep by cutting his throat. And that's how he's chosen, (laughs) which (laughs) makes sense. If you meet Kano, you probably wouldn't want to choose him. Right, right, right. And also, I gotta say, speaking of Australians, Josh Lawson as Kano is the most Australian thing. (laughs) So much. (laughs) He rips out a reptile man's heart and says, Kano wins, you fucking beauty. (laughs) <laughs> it's the most Australian thing. He is that dickhead in the crowd at, I don't know, football or pro wrestling or whatever, who is yelling horrible things until someone sits around and says, hey, you mate, you need to shut up. Yeah. At yeah. which point he will go and buy more beer. Yeah, exactly. And come back louder and more obnoxious than ever. Absolutely. Yeah. So yes, Josh Lawson is having fun. He's having a whale of a time. He knew exactly what kind of movie he's in. Yeah, God. And I mean, I, I don't disagree with any of the other casting choices, really. But I will say that 
there were some liberties taken with some of the relationships between characters, right? Because we have Kung Lao as a character, and we also have Liu Kang, and they're set up as, like, having this, like, bromance, and they're set up as contemporaries. But I believe, canonically, Kung Lao is, like, one of Liu Kang's, like, great forefathers from, like, many, many generations ago. Yeah. So to have them be contemporaries is like, hmm. But at the same time, did I mind? No, because they set up Kung Lao to be as fucking sick as possible, even though as Kano, uh, your buddy Josh Lawson, yeah. points out many times, it's like, your power could be shit. It could be a fucking spinny hat. Like, <laughs> yeah. But they made that spinny hat incredible in this film. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, as part of the movie, the way to kind of combine all of the weird magic and technical and supernatural powers that everybody's got is they said okay well everybody who's a champion has an arcana which is meant to be whatever their power is so Liu Kang can shoot fire like he can in the games and mm-hmm. I don't know if his arcana is responsible for him being as incredibly jacked as that actor is but oh my god <laughs> holy shit yeah the excitement that I felt when he started doing that bicycle kick yeah I did just stand up and scream bicycle kick <laughs> um, <laughs> It just, like, made me really happy. But, yeah, the Arcana, it's, like, one of the important narrative devices in this film. Yeah. Because we we haven't talked about the new character. Oh, yeah, Cole. Cole, who is the main character in the movie, continued, that sort of suggests throughout and then confirms that he is some descendant of Scorpion. But his thing is, like, of all of the, the Chosen, he is the one that struggles the most to access his arcana to the point that he gives up and walks away. And then you know, how is this dude going to access his arcana? Something bad's going to have to happen to his family because we have learned at the beginning of the movie that he's a family man, he has a wife, he has a daughter, and they are his whole universe. So obviously what must happen for Cole to access his power is something bad to happen to his family. And what happens is... Goro comes for them. We haven't talked about Goro yet. How are we <laughs> like 30 minutes into the episode and we haven't talked about Goro? Okay, so Goro. Goro was like the thing they put on the outside of all the arcade cabinets to get people to pay attention. Goro is eight feet tall and has four arms and a weird top knot ponytail and a horrific face. In the 1995 movie, he was played by this like stop motion animation where the arms were a little bit too short and it was kind of weird and horrible and he made lots of bug eye faces and Johnny Cage punched him in the balls and knocked him off a cliff. So yeah, yeah, he was an ugly son of a gun in that movie <laughs> and it's an ugly son of a gun in this movie too, if I'm being yeah. perfectly honest. The character is just ugly. <laughs> Luckily, special effects have come a long way. And so Goro gets to be like this kind of 12 foot tall behemoth voiced by another Australian, one Angus Sampson, or as Kimiko refers to him as my mate Ango, who was previously in the second series of Fargo, if you watch that. He was Bear, the big dude with the beard. Huh, the more you know. There you wow, go. wow, 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 wow. And he's like a comedy actor in Australia. So the fact that he's gone to the States and he's done all these like intense physical and dramatic roles is kind of funny. Hmm, hmm. Yeah, God. Yeah, Goro gets dropped like a bomb onto the farmhouse where his family is staying and, like, wrecks up the place. And Cole has to power up his arcana, which kind of manifests as this, like, armor suit on his torso. Yeah, that has, like, yeah, some blades. I mean, I wasn't super impressed with Cole's arcana, if I'm being totally honest. If I had one quibble with the film, it would be... If you're going to introduce a new character into the universe, can you make him, like, a little bit more compelling just in terms of his powers? I did not find his power to be all that compelling. What did you think of his power? I thought it was okay. But what's funny, though, is that, because, again, I'm, I'm a little out of the loop on the more recent games. I figured he was a character from the games, that he was a different character. No, he's not. That they had renamed, because I didn't play Deception. I didn't play Deadly Alliance. I didn't play any of the 9 through 11 games. So... I figured that maybe he was in one of those and they were kind of welding those two arcs together into, okay, well, this guy is actually Scorpion's descendant because his thing, because Scorpion's powers are the, the harpoon that he throws and he can also breathe fire because he has, you know, control hellfire. 
Yeah. yeah. And so Cole's powers is that he gets that sort of armored torso and a couple of bladed tonfas, which he uses to great effect. But then also when someone hits him on that armor, it like leaves a fiery mark and he like absorbs that and is able to use that back at them. Mm-hmm. And I thought that for someone whose whole thing is that he is not a defensive mm-hmm. fighter, they say in his early MMA matches and stuff, it's like, oh, you're all attack and you just hope to overwhelm, which is why you get your ass kicked a lot in any kind of fight with someone who knows what they're doing. Giving him that defensive, it's like, it's kind of a thing. It's like, if you, if you squint slightly, it's kind of a character arc. Yeah, it's almost a thing. I'm sure that there will be a sequel and that they will expand on that in some way. It's almost a thing. But it was fun to watch him finally, like, man up. Yeah. It's like, man, Cole, I'm getting really sick of your shit. I'm getting really <laughs> sick of your shit. At a certain point, I was like, I wish that Sonia would just take your tattoo because you're getting on my nerves. You're being a whiny bitch baby. <laughs> oh my gosh. As I was ranting about that, I realized that we haven't talked about Jax at all. Oh, Jax. Yeah, yeah. A really rad thing happens early on in the movies where Sub-Zero, you know, he's hunting Earth's Chosen. Jax and Sonya are trying to like help Cole and protect Cole. So Cole and Sonya go off to find Kano, basically. And Jax is left to handle Sub-Zero on his own. And Sub-Zero freezes Jax's human arms off. They just like, he just freezes his arms and he just snaps them off. And leaves him for dead. But we know that he's not going to be dead because he's Jax with the arms. And so Jax gets brought back to like the compound where Raiden and, and the monks are. And they give him these like feeble, weak ass, like bionic arms. Spindly little robot arms that they say are powered by magic. Yeah. Yeah. Spindly little bullshit robot arms. <laughs> and he's trying to access his arcana and he can't. But how he does eventually access it is by saving Sonya, suggesting that it is the power of friendship that really motivates Jax. And his arcana becomes much better robot arms, which is just funny. (laughs) Yes. I I always thought the implication was that had he kept his arms, he would have just gotten super strong. But because he had the robot arms, they then bulk up to these massive, like, hugely muscled robot arms. But... Funnily enough, with Jax, the way memory works, I guess, is, you know, you're not actually remembering the thing, you're remembering your memory of the thing, and so it can change. Mm -hmm. But I had completely forgotten until after, because the minute you see Jax, your your brain goes, oh, he's going to get the robot arms. Of course he is. That's how it's going to happen. And then when he fights and he gets his arms frozen, you're like, oh, okay, here come the robot arms. I had completely forgotten that in Mortal Kombat 2, the game I played the most, Jax had human arms in that game. And I had completely forgotten he didn't get the robot arms until Mortal Kombat 3. Oh. It was one of those things where it's like, I remember looking at the pictures and I'm like, oh, is that an edited picture? So that, no. It's like that Mandela effect thing where it's like you remembered it wrong for so long that when you see it right, you're like, Mm -hmm. nah, that can't be it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, Jax does very well in this movie and he even gets to, just like in the game, he claps some dude's head off. Which I could not have been happier. And what does he say? What does he say after those? After he does that, he's like, oh, these these things work or something. Yeah. (laughs) These motherfuckers work. (laughs) Yes. Yes, that's what he's. I couldn't remember what swear word he used. And I was just like, god damn it, I love this film. (laughs) Just, just absolute art. Which we should talk about the fatalities because there are some really good graphic, but also like almost Tarantino-esque deaths in this film yeah because we didn't we didn't mention it but the 95 movie was pg-13 yeah yeah and this movie is a hard r (laughs) hardest hardest possible r there is lots of blood and viscera so you've got people's arms being frozen off you've got heads exploding my favorite though was nitara who was from a game i did not play and so i did not recognize her but she's this gorgeous vampire lady with like scaly angel wings and Shang Tsung is like oh you're my favorite Nitara and then she goes to fight Kung Lao and Kung Lao just like annihilates her in one move he throws his hat into the ground jumps on her back and surfs her face first into the hat and she's cut in half laterally I couldn't believe it yeah it was lengthwise from head to toe it was awesome she didn't even get to like 
touch him. So I'm just like, what was your plan? Like, what were you going to do? Like, I forget what her path, because she is in deception. Yeah. But I don't remember like what any, I assume it's something like blood related or like acid related. I don't really remember, but I'm just like, yeah, she was just doing like a lot of like fancy flying around. And he said, oh, well. I got something for that ass. And you're right. He <laughs> sawed her ass in half. And it was so amazing and stupid and just glorious. Seeing that moment in the theater, like, <laughs> and hearing the, like, vocal and visceral reaction of people who did not expect that moment. <laughs> <laughs> it was very unexpected because they were definitely setting it up to be, like, a longer fight. And it was just like, no, like, here is how badass Kong Lao is. Which is why Kung Lao had to die yeah. almost immediately thereafter. And he gets his soul sucked out. And it's a huge bummer, but it also looks really cool. So in that way, it was a win. Absolutely. This movie brought out like my inner teenage boy that was like, oh my god, that lady got sawed in half. Awesome. Like that was what came out of me. And my partner Paige was just like, who are you? You're so much nerdier than I thought. <laughs> And she thought I was pretty nerdy already. So that's really, really saying something. I did note this movie has a very noticeable lack of katana. And so I feel like they're really setting that up to be like a big deal in the sequel. I think they wanted to hold some things back. So maybe katana will be at the actual tournament whenever that happens. Yeah. And instead we got Melina. Melina with... Yes. For most of the time, she had like these weird kind of bruises all over her face, mm-hmm. as opposed to her terrifying toothy mouth behind a mask. And surprisingly, Melina's black in this movie. Yeah. Unexpected. Yeah. She still did a good job. She was still scary as hell. She was played by by Cece Stringer. And she got to have a cool fight with Sonya Blair and then got to like monumentally put Sonya down and say, you're not a champion, so therefore you're not worth killing, which, oof. Yeah, that was rough. That was really rough. But with Melina... What they're very much evoking, I think. Because she's got this super long braid and it's at the top of her head. I'm going to want you to just go to Google for a sec. Okay. And I want you to Google Bianca Belair. Is this like a wrestler or somebody that I should know? It is a wrestler. And she has a very particular look. (gasps) Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I totally see that. Totally see that. Yeah, and tell me that's not evocative. Also, she just won a championship recently, and she fucking rules. Bianca Belair does. Yeah. So, bless her. But yeah, I was very much thinking, like, with Melina, they very much took her look for that. Yeah, totally bit her look. When she and Sonya have their rematch, once Sonya has her powers, Uh when she accesses her, I feel like she gets her arcana, like, basically immediately, suggesting, like... She definitely, like, should have been chosen from jump. Yeah. Like, I think in the games, I feel like it's more of, like, a force push than, like, like a, like a laser beam, like, the thing that she shoots. Yeah, she's got gauntlets in the game that, like, shoots these rings, but it becomes her yeah. kind of... Although, uh, what I thought of afterwards was that the reason she was able to access it immediately is that she sat with them for all the lessons that they had. Mm, that's true. And also, she had prepared and done the research and wanted to be a champion of Earth. Unlike the others who were kind of reluctant and had to be like pushed. Kano, by the way, had to be mocked within an inch of his life by Kung Lao until he was ready to punch him in the face. Yeah. Which (laughs) Which was great. Which I think he interprets as like, oh, like my anger is my power. It's like, no, it's like you're driven entirely by insecurity. Like that's what that means about you, my guy. Just like toxic masculinity, like... With a heartbeat. Yeah, exactly. That's who Kano is in this movie. Yeah, and, and Kung Lao was able to defeat you with a couple of words without sitting up. So it was just like, while gesturing with a pork bun. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, Sonya gets to have her energy rings, which I had forgotten she had. Yeah, I did too. It was like the animation from the first game. Like, right to like, like her posture and the look of the rings. Which, by the way, cuts straight through Melina, but leave her spine intact? Yeah, I don't really know. So a lot of like the physics of the game don't make a lot of sense. But at a certain point, you're like, well, people have magic powers, people are shooting fire. Like, why are we really asking? Like, you just have to suspend your disbelief a little bit. But like, similarly, when Raiden teleports everyone to the void... And we realize, like, oh, yeah, Raiden can teleport anyone anywhere. I'm like, God damn it, Raiden. You couldn't have done this the whole time. Couldn't you just, like, 
teleport all the baddies just like very far away like until the tournament into outer space or whatever but yeah the implication was that oh well i'm bound by rules and i can't interfere or that would be the end of the story but then he does interfere of course he does (laughs) (laughs) so like i just don't anyway what are you gonna say what are you gonna say i was gonna say um coming back to sonia's fight she gets a really cool fight with kano in her trailer in her shitty ass trailer yeah it's a good fight because she knows the area so well and she's like popping in and out of crawl spaces and like using the environment and like sticking him with knives as he sort of blunders around the middle of it trying to shoot her with his laser eye. Oh, we didn't even say Kano's Arcana is a laser eye. Yeah. And I remember like watching that and thinking like, okay, this is good because it's, the whole movie has been telling her, oh yeah, you're not a champion. So therefore you don't have a ton of worth to us. Despite you dedicating your life to this, we don't actually care. And then she gets to show not just that she can fight, but that she's smart and capable and can plan and strategize. And like she basically takes him apart. It's great. One of the things that I really like about this movie is that despite all the magic powers, they like the fight choreography makes sense. So it's like Sonia is a very skilled fighter. Technically, she's strong. But like if she were just going to like take on Kano, just like running at him, she'd get her ass handed to her obviously. So they make her smart, they make her wily, and they make him extremely dumb. As opposed to just like, I'm gonna do waifu and like magically, like this kick that I'm gonna deliver to your head is gonna like have an impact that makes no sense based on like the laws of physics. I really appreciated that. God, what a good fight scene. It's so good. Something I was just reminded of was like we talked about how Sonya's energy rings look just like they did in the first game. The other thing they replicated from the first game with such an accuracy that I felt it in like my solar plexus when I saw it in the movie is when Liu Kang repeatedly sweeps Kano's feet out from under him. Oh yeah, the spamming. Oh. Yeah, that was really good. Because <laughs> kids, you see, back in the day, the very first Mortal Kombat game had you, you had high kick, you had low kick, you had light punch and heavy punch. And if you press down and low kick, you did a leg sweep, which instantly grounded your opponent with a very comical Yeah. Except it, with certain characters, it was an extremely fast move. I remember specifically with like Sub-Zero and Liu Kang. You could spam that button. Bah, 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 and it would hit them just as the animation for the fall finished. And you could hit them six or eight times in a row. Especially if it's someone who hadn't played the game a lot. And it was incredibly frustrating. <laughs> it's very annoying. Huge dick move. But that was like, you're highlighting something that this movie does really well. Which is pay fan service. Yeah. And like this really particular way, but it's still something that can be appreciated by someone who is not super into the games. Like basically, they just made this movie a lot better than it had to be. They made a lot of interesting choices in terms of the writing of this movie, in terms of the fight choreography, in terms of the special effects. And then they give us this incredible fight scene at the very end of the movie when Scorpion rises out of hell and says that he has escaped hell to kill Sub-Zero. And Scorpion and Cole proceed to tag team Sub-Zero. But let's be honest, like, it's mostly Scorpion doing the work here. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) Cole provides, like, a light assist. To this hellspawn wraith that has come back from the dead for (laughs) revenge. Oh, also Cole is there. Yeah, yeah. Also Cole is there, and Cole is as usual, trying to save his family because Sub-Zero has abducted his wife and daughter and suspended them in ice, which Scorpion sees and is like, he's like triggered by because that's the same thing that happened to his wife and his kid and he couldn't save them. Yeah, and Cole was given the kunai that Scorpion used from Raiden and at one point gets cut by it. And that's what summons a Scorpion back to the present, wearing, I gotta say, a fucking badass outfit of like, like, cause his mask is like a scary face, like a samurai mask. And he's got like the gold on the pauldrons and he, he looks amazing when he comes back. Yeah, it was just, it was just really good. It's just so fun. And like a lot of the, the scenes in the movie are like, evocative of stages from various Mortal Kombat games in ways that are like not like super obvious but like they're so I don't know they're just interesting like whoever made this movie really loved the games like I feel like that comes through they had some good people on their teams and that makes me really happy like someone had fun making this movie 
Like it didn't feel tortured. It felt, I don't know, it just felt right. Yeah. The perfect fusion of art and commerce. I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) I think, because I need to talk a little bit about Sub-Zero. Because Sub-Zero was given extremely short shrift by the 95 movie. Because he is one, like if you look at some of the previous attempts to make movies or cartoons or whatever, Sub-Zero is always at the heart of it. And so they make him the biggest badass in this movie. Like he is specifically brought up to be like, no, he is the most dangerous person we are going to have to fight. Like when he goes after Cole and his family and before Jax gets to them, he basically goes out and it's raining and he freezes the entire street and then lifts up all of the rain into hailstones and just destroys yeah. the street and everyone on it. It's amazing. And you mentioned Jax's arms before. At one point, he cuts Scorpion. The blood flies and he turns that blood into a dagger to then cut and stab at him. Yeah. It's amazing. It's pretty rad. It's pretty rad. And yeah it's like he you know he's a villain but he's such a cool villain that like you root for him like a little bit like you just want to see what he's gonna do and they really use like the frost to great effect because it's like oh it's getting a little chill in the air like sub-zero's coming you know he's coming because suddenly you can see your breath when you couldn't before it's like it's so great yeah it's like the thump of the t-rex coming in Jurassic Park. Yes, yes. And actually, this is making me remember that Cabal is in this movie, oh, shit, too. we forgot about Cabal. <laughs> we totally forgot about Cabal, who makes such a great, like, compliment to the Kano character. He's really funny. He's got that mask on. He's got all that gear on. He's Brooklyn Rage as hell. <laughs> He's so fun. He's so fun to watch. I, I hope they find a way to bring that character back. Does somebody kill him in this movie? Liu Kang does incinerate his ass with a fire dragon, so... Yes, 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 yes. That is true. That is true. He gets him stuck in a tar pit and sets his ass on fire. Yeah, but I was like, oh no, like that guy was really funny. But he says like, oh shit or something. Yeah, like, yeah. It's <laughs> great. As he's about to get toasted and roasted. At the end, Shang Tsung says something to the effect of how death is not an obstacle for him. And then he kind of like implicitly resurrects everybody. Like they're all covered with smoke and go away. Because I mean, people die all the time in Mortal Kombat games and then they come back. So you never know. Cabal could be back. I'm sure that based on the fan reaction, he will come back as part of, you know, some undead army. And that is like Shang Tsung's whole thing. It's like souls and all that shit. But I cannot believe we almost forgot about Cabal. That would have been a real tragedy. (laughs) I can say the response to the movie has not been all positive. I mean, there was a couple of really good Twitter threads going around about the excessive cutting during some of the fight scenes that were accurate. I still had fun, though. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, but that's also how action movies are made in the 21st century. Like, because there's not really, like, true martial artists anymore. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to, I don't mean that to be derogatory, but I mean... Someone like Jean-Claude Van Damme, like our generation just doesn't have a JCVD. Like someone who is like that athletic, who like looks that good on camera and who can like truly do all of those things and who like who doesn't need a wire. Um, We just don't have movie stars like that anymore. So that is how we make action movies now is quick cuts. So like I, I hear the criticism, but I'm just like, that's not a Mortal Kombat 2021 problem. That is... A 21st century action movie problem. Bring back Tony Jaa. That's all I'm saying. Oh, God, yes. Bring back Tony Jaa. Please. Please. Bless him. (laughs) To wrap up our Mortal Kombat discussion, steal a line from Benoit Blanc from the incredible movie Knives Out, and I will say, it makes no damn sense. Compels me, though. (laughs) (laughs) A perfect and apt closing to this conversation. Truly makes no damn sense, Bob so compelling all right camille so thanks so much for coming back and if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet where would they go so you can check out the podcast on friendly black hotties we're at the black you want to enter that directly into your browser do not search for the black hotties because you will find hotties that are black but they will not be treated with respect <laughs> You can also follow me on Twitter. I am at that Blasian girl. So thank you very much for coming on. And do you want to try your Mortal Kombat scream or like a fatality or finish him? Or what do you feel like? I don't think I have the range. I don't even want to attempt it. Do you? <laughs> finish him. How's that? Oh, that was pretty good. Thank you. I'm very proud. Nice. Yeah. 
Thank you very much to Camille Washington for her time. For Camille's signature cocktail, I've chosen something that maintains its complexity without sacrificing any of the punch, which I think suits Mortal Kombat very well. And so I present the Melina. In a shaker full of ice, combine three quarters of an ounce of bourbon, three quarters of an ounce of green chartreuse, three quarters of an ounce of Campari, and three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice. Shake vigorously and strain into a pre-chilled cocktail glass. Who cares if you started off as a palate swap? Do your own thing and do it with a smile. Enjoy. Matthew is recorded in Ride New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. When I have them, new episodes are released every second Friday. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-T, on Twitter and Instagram. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash and pledge as little as a dollar a month. This is normally the part where I say you can pledge as much as you want, but honestly, you guys have been so nice while I've been out of work, and this Patreon has been a big help. Patrons get thanks on the show, cursive tweets, physical mail, and really, I just appreciate it a whole bunch. If you'd like to support non-monetarily, you can go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Spotify, anywhere where your podcasts are found, and leave a five-star rating. It'll help people find the show. You can also leave a review, and I'll read it out. Won't that be nice? If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. Go to bit.ly slash themathofyou, with capitals at the beginning of each word, to find a playlist going all the way back to episode one. That's a ridiculous amount of music, including this song. It's Kitana by Princess Nokia. There are a surprising amount of songs that reference Mortal Kombat in their lyrics, but this one was my first pick. I update the playlist as soon as the episode goes live, so make sure you subscribe and get that new music in your ears. Next week, it's the return of Brett White. Join me, won't you? Although I gotta tell you something unrelated to Pod. So, we had like... It was something like nearly three months with no cases, right? Here in Sydney, in New South Wales. There was one case that was like right on the border, but that was someone who had come from Queensland and got across the border and then was noticed. And so it was only in like Byron Bay, so it's way up the coast. But we've had no cases in the city for months and months and months. So things were almost back to what they were in the before times. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then what happened is that suddenly, because we have really good uh, contact chasing here. I say again, mm. contact tracing. <laughs> I got both words wrong three different ways. And so, like, the minute someone finds out they're positive, they, like, track their steps back. There's a check-in system on the app with QR codes, like you're on Foursquare or something. They were able to go, okay, well, here's where this guy went to in the last 48 hours. Anyone who's been here, go immediately get tested. And people did, and there's been no pass on except for to his wife. But what's really funny is when you track the locations back through the contact tracing and you realize how boring your life is in comparison to some people's, right? Oh. <laughs> like there was one, like the one that before was before Christmas. This guy went to like five bars, two liquor stores, and three restaurants in a night and a half. Like it was like... I mean, that's wild. Yeah, dude came in and just like wrecked shop, went home. And, but this guy, this guy, right? He went to see this movie, The Courier, with Bandit Cumberbatch, about which I know nothing. Then went out to a fancy steak restaurant. Then the next day went to not one, not two, not three, but four barbecue retailers. Like barbecues galore. Jake's barbecue. Sam's barbecue and equipment. And then to a second barbecue galore an hour's drive away. What was he doing? 
<laughs> what was he prepping for? He was clearly looking for a barbecue. But, I mean, what was he looking for? <laughs> clearly a specific <laughs> barbecue, right? And then the next day, there was like a gap where he was clearly at home putting the barbecue together. And then he went to a butcher shop called The Meat Store. And then he went to a gas station and bought a propane tank. Oh my god. So wild speculation occurred where it's like, does the courier have a scene with like delicious steak? And the guy went, I gotta get me some of that food I've never heard of before. And then he went to the steak restaurant and had some steak and he thought, I must be able to create this in my own home, but only in a particular way. So I must visit four different barbecue stores. <laughs> and then he found it and he needed the equipment, which is the meat and the propane. But it's the equivalent of being behind someone at the grocery store and looking into their basket and trying to like ascertain what kind of night they have planned. If they have like- Yeah, like what's your deal? Yeah, yeah. a cantaloupe, a toothbrush, and four pounds of sugar. Well, that's just troubling. But the sugar is really... Mm. <laughs> What's funny, though, is the solution to the barbecue question that all of Twitter was, like, tearing their hair out over was really boring and kind of dumb. He's a... I don't know if it would be a venture capitalist. Like, he was looking at buying the barbecue chain Barbecues Galore. Oh. He was part of a firm that was looking to acquire the chain, and he was doing product research. So that's very unfun, and I... I wish that nobody knew that. It's much more fun to imagine him going on a wild goose chase to replicate the perfect steak with <laughs> the exact barbecue use of whatever steak joint he went to. Exactly. That's so much more fun. So much more fun. A small bit of schadenfreude, as you can say, the person who ruined the story also has COVID. So there you go. Yeah, well. I don't want to say that's what you get, <laughs> but hey. <laughs> no ethical steak consumption under capitalism, right? 